Have I not been able to do left, right, and center for the last four months? Up until just a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't even allowed to listen to it. <laughs> so, and that's true. That's true. The, uh, my, uh, my, my keepers, my sister and my sister-in-law, with a little uh, support from the doctors, were very concerned that I not get too uh, exercised about anything. So I, and I've mentioned this on the air, I think, before. I didn't get a chance to listen to the show very often. But I particularly didn't get a chance to listen to Left, Right, and Center. Uh, and I've missed that, I must say. I miss both being here and both listening to it. So it's, it's a great treat to be back today with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz, and it's so nice to see both of you. Well, we've missed you. To see you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This morning, I want to take a look at a, at, a, at, a, at a broad issue and a narrow issue at the same time. The broad issue is the, is the issue of uh, uh, doctor-assisted suicide, euthanasia. The more narrow issue has to do with a Toronto doctor who has brought this to the fore again, but I think brought it to the fore in a, in a, in a rather interesting fashion. His name is Colin Wolf. He's a uh, respirologist, uh, former associate dean of medicine at U of T. He's a big shooter in the medical, uh, medical field. He's written extensively on, uh, on uh, respiratory diseases and, and ailments and so on, very highly respected in the profession. And he is now facing death. He has terminal cancer. He's already reached the limit that his doctors gave him when they diagnosed it. Uh, so from his perspective, he's basically living day to day. He's growing weaker daily. He's, he finds himself irritated, depressed, He's embarrassed by his condition. He's embarrassed by some of the, not to be too indelicate, but some of the physical indignities that are, that are visited upon people who are losing control of their bodies. He's overwhelmed, he says, by the futility of his continuing existence. And I'm just going to quote something he wrote here. He said, you've got to eat, you've got to sleep, you've got to pee, and you keep on saying why. And in response, you've got a lot of people saying, well, we're going to miss you, when you if you're not here. So that's why he's now asking the question, and he's gone public to ask it, to take advantage of his profile. He's, he is uh, res well-respected enough in the medical community that when he speaks out, the media paid, it, paid attention in this case, as, as indeed they did. And, and he's asking us to take another look as a society at how we deal with the terminally ill. Not just the issue of when and whether he should be allowed to end his life himself, but our whole attitude towards the terminally ill. As he said, we don't deal with death very well in our culture. We just don't deal with it. We don't know what to do about it. We are such a vibrant living culture, and, and I guess as all cultures are, but particularly in ours, there's such an emphasis on, on the senses, on materialism, on things, on, on experiences, that it's a very vibrant, live, uh, throbbing culture. And when we have to talk to people within that culture who are no longer part of that, or anticipate very shortly no longer being part of that, we don't know what to do. So I said there's a larger issue here, and then there's the smaller issue. I want to ask each of my guests today to give me a quick read, if you would, on where you think our culture is on this. Are we sensitive enough? And I'm not necessarily to the point of whether, whether doctor-assisted suicide is okay, although I want to get to that too. But what sensitivity level, Marion, do you think we have in our society? When, when people are like Dr. Wolf, their, their time is up. They know it. We know it. He says that we just don't care enough to do the right things. Well, I think we're a death-denying society. I think absolutely we're a death-denying society, and so it has been an issue that we have been refusing to face. Uh, when my parents were growing up, uh, their parents lived 
with their children and died at home. Mm -hmm. And death was a part of the life cycle in a way that once we started sending people to hospitals and to long-term care facilities, it wasn't as much a part of life. Now, of course, that's reversing and we're beginning to, to look at it. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm in a position where I did palliative care at home with my mom when she was dying of, of uh, emphysema and, and lung cancer. And uh, Dr. Wolf is absolutely right. As you gradually lose your, your, your capacity to control, there is some frustration. On the other hand, there's some very valuable things that you can continue to contribute mm -hmm. at that stage. And I would say that this article is proof of that. This is a contribution that Dr. Wolf is making to bringing this issue to the fore. We have to look at the ethics of this issue. We have to look at how we would set limits on it because there are abuses that, that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the cases that Dr. Kevorkian, uh, for example, has talked about are people who probably had a lot of productive time left but were discouraged. Uh, the doctor who, who uh, uh, assisted a suicide in, in Toronto of an AIDS victim mm -hmm. who was by no means uh, at, at death's door and, and was convicted for that. These are issues we have to deal with and we have to talk about. It's not a simple issue, as you know. Um, uh, Sven Robinson in our party has talked about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. Those of us who've been closely connected to the AIDS movement know that uh, this is an issue that we have to discuss. We have to find a way to deal with the actual wishes of people uh, in a way that doesn't endanger those, those who do not wish mm -hmm. this and, and, and in a way that honors the life um, not 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 looks at life as a disposable commodity. Robert, what, what's what's your uh, what's your point of view on this? Well, you know, with with the right to life comes the right to die, and the issue for me is whose choice is it? Is it the choice of the person whose life is in question, or is it the choice of someone else? Uh, I've always held that it's the the choice of the person whose life is in question. However, what we're talking about here is the third party involved. An unassisted suicide is not a problem. You can go home and kill yourself, and you won't go to jail. Used to be against the law. Used to be against the law. I don't. I could never understand that. That just revealed the utter, you know, the the ultimate contradiction in even thinking like that. But um, if you're talking about an unassisted suicide, no one can stop that. So the issue is the role of the person assisting a suicide, and I think there's some responsibilities that have to be put on that person regardless of who he is. Absolutely. I think he has to ensure that the suicide is a, quote, rational choice. Um, you will have pe people who may want to die because they're in extreme pain. It's going to go away, and they'll live, live a healthy life after that, mm -hmm. you know, but at that moment they would be willing to die just to give up that pain. Mm -hmm. And someone on the outside, and this is only looking at it from their point of view, has to make that reasoned decision. Um, and it shouldn't be someone who um, stands to gain in any way, it seems to me. Um, and I, I don't mean that just in terms of money or property or anything. I'm not, I'm not talking mm -hmm. about that. But I am talking about... Like, like inheriting a, a well, will or something exactly. like that? Exactly. I'm talking about that, but I'm also talking about the issue of, of caregiving. I mean, I think that was what was always very troubling about uh, uh, the Saskatchewan case, mm -hmm. uh, where the little girl, uh, the, the, yeah, I mean, it, that, is a, that is a very difficult case because while we all empathize with the difficulty of parents facing the pain of a child like that, on the other hand, there is a very real, real issue around whether when you're that close to it, 
it's appropriate for that person to be making a decision if we ever allow this. I, I think that's something we have but isn't, to... Isn't, I mean, that certainly complicates it, because in many cases, those people, we would expect, are the ones who would be closest to understanding the wishes of the affected person, perhaps not in the Latimer case, but uh, you know, the, those nearest and dearest to you are the ones in many cases you would want to trust with that decision, aren't they? Well, of course, in, 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 in Ontario, on other health decisions, we do have a Substitute Decisions Act where uh, all of us have the right to name someone that we trust to make our health decisions based on uh, either their own judgment, if that's what we, we decide, or within limits that we set out in a, in a living will. We can do that. Um, the issue in that sort of thing comes when it's a child who isn't capable of, of executing that kind of a document. So we, we do have some of that. But, you know, even in Holland, where there is legislation permitting assisted suicide, uh, it, it requires two, two physicians to have agreed mm -hmm. that the end of life is, is an appropriate situation. And even there, there's ongoing concern about older people who are eating up a lot of tax dollars in terms of their health care or personal dollars in terms of their personal care uh, are, are dying uh, in, in, in large numbers. And it may not be for their benefit, but for someone else's. This is Talk of the Town, left, right, and center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. We're going to pause for just a moment, but we do remind you that the lines are open at 643-1290, star, 12 star 1290 on the Rogers AT&T. If you want to join our discussion, we're always pleased to have you do so. Pick up the phone. Marion Boyd and Bob Metz with us on left, right, and center today. Bob, you wanted to follow up something that Marion had just said. Yeah, just before the ads, Marion was, was cautioning that the people involved in an assisted suicide not be like personally involved in it in some way and uh, stand to gain to stand to gain from the death but likewise i think the argument rubs the other way and i think that's what the doctor's saying in this case he's suggesting that it's a, it's the gain of other people it's preventing him from having the death that he wants because he says you know the rest of that quote that you started reading he says uh, you've got to eat you've got to sleep etc and and why but you have a lot of people around you saying well we're going to miss you in other words mm -hmm. He's being kept alive because of some emotional indulgence or some, some you know, which you can understand the pain of loss mm -hmm. uh, on the part of the survivors. Um, but should that gain on theirs to try to put off that pain be the thing that makes him suffer longer and, and, and you know, suffer well, a death that he does not point. want to... And in a broader sense, that's what society is saying, isn't it? Society is kind of saying, we don't want to lose you as a group specifically here his family yeah. is doing that sure. but they're representing society's kind of general view and if we if we look at the number of situations where people go through treatment now he says in his article that he went through treatment because he thought it would lessen the pain but he didn't ever expect it to prolong his life as long as it has mm. we see lots of instances where families are demanding that the healthcare system keep on trying even long after mm. physicians have, have have indicated that that any intervention is not going to prolong life uh, for an appreciable length of time. We also see physicians using patients to see whether a treatment will work mm -hmm. when they know they're terminal. Mm -hmm. um, and if people agree to that, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that there's a whole lot of informed consent around some of the end-of-life interventions that we do. How do we get around the, 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 the concern that, uh, that the dying person has to or the family, rather, the dying person has, to keep that individual alive because, and I was just sharing off the air an experience with the, with the loved one who was 
near death and, and was sent home to die and is fine today. Um, how, how do we balance the family's right to say, no, we don't want you to give up on, on, on Aunt Mary because miracles happen. And until everything else is exhausted, we want to keep you trying. And a doctor who stands there knowing very well that it's a one in a billion chance that Aunt Mary's going to come through and knows that if he spends or expends tens of thousands of dollars, which he can easily do, uh, doesn't take long. Uh, prolonging Aunt Mary's life to no apparent purpose, that somebody else down the line is going to suffer because of the, love, the want of those funds. And then does the person whose money we're talking about, the taxpayer in that case, have a say in the process as well? Um, I'd certainly say if, if Aunt Mary, if it was her own money, she could pursue every avenue that she wanted to and, and you know, spend all that money. But there was a troubling, but that's not allowed in Canada. troubling, troubling study done uh, about uh, children dying of cancer and the prolonging of, of their lives, mm -hmm. very painful lives, um, uh, fear about, and there's terrific fear among a lot of health care providers around providing adequate pain relief in those cases because it can, in fact, stop the breathing. I mean, we have this inquest going on right now, yeah. this child in Toronto, um, morphine and, and other drugs that, that, that resolve very severe pain do, in fact, uh, have the potential of of, of interfering with respiration and that sort of thing has to be very carefully monitored. Um, I think there's a lot of evidence, and there's certainly been a lot of research done, that relieving pain has tended not to be as much a part of the care plan as it ought to be in a lot of these cases. Um, palliative care, the whole movement toward palliative care, uh, is, is a movement that talks about living, living life with a quality of life to the moment relieving that life ends, relieving the pain, providing the the kind of of, of surroundings that are going to be um, at least uh, adding to the to the quality of life. Even in those circumstances, even with the best kind of, of surround, there are those patients who say they want to end it, mm. and those patients who are quite happy to allow that that life to to come to a natural conclusion. And I guess what our what our real issue is is dealing with the ethical issues that come along with making a decision that, that, that there, there are circumstances in which we have a right to end life. Well, I think it starts with choice. Just as you say, you have some people who would prefer to go and some people who'd prefer to stay. So you can't impose one, one of those solutions on both of them. They both have to have their choice. And again, I think, I think the only issue here is what is the third party's responsibility when we're talking about assisted suicide? But there's another element there, um, and that is that, is that the, uh, our, our public will on this has been informed by... Well, the law, yes. Yeah, has been informed by the, largely by the religious traditions that were interwoven with the development of this country. They're the Christian tradition that holds, and that's why, really, as Marion said, it used to be against the logic to, to try to commit suicide. But Judaism and Islam well, are just as strong. As well, yeah, but, but here, the, uh, the, uh, the sensibility here largely came out of the Christian tradition, but you're quite right, they're strong in the other two as well, and, and in others. How do we say to the people, to the adherents of those faiths who believe very strongly that they have a duty and a right to stand up to protect you from yourself? Well, they don't have that right, because if they do that, even by their own belief, they're playing God to make my choices for me and take away my right to my life. Which but for is, many which years, only, it was against the law because well, well, of that very that, thing. That was always, always wrong. You know, life is the standard of all values. 
in, hum, in humanity. I mean, that's the standard of morality. It's the standard of right and wrong is what prolongs life and, and the knowledge that's incorporated in that. Life is the source of all our rights. It begins with property rights. In, in a legal sense, your life is your fundamental property right mm -hmm. from which all others extend. The unique thing about, about life, as opposed to a car or a house or some other property, is that although you can possess it, you can't exchange it. Even if someone else deprives you of your life, they don't own it, they don't walk away with it. Aha, I got this guy's life, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, it doesn't work that way. You're the only possessor of that life, and that's why that all the rights we have and everything that we have enshrined in the series of documents from the Magna Carta till today, you know, enshrining choice, basically, is what life is all about. And a person who doesn't have his freedom and doesn't have his choice doesn't have a life in the full human sense of the term. We have to pause for a moment. We continue with Left, Right, and Center. Bob Metz and Marion Boyd, if you've got something you'd like to add, if you've got a question or a comment, 643-1290. This is 1290 CJBK. Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. We're talking today about the dilemma personified by Dr. Colin Wolfe, who's a terminally ill Toronto doctor, um, very well-respected clinician and teacher, um, practitioner. He's 75 years old. He wants to die. He can't die. His uh, treatment for cancer has prolonged his life beyond what he expected. Now, there's one element in here that they don't mention. And I don't know how this relates to what we've been saying or whether this relates to it, but this guy is a doctor. Could he not write himself a prescription? Absolutely. I don't understand this, frankly. I mean, I, I, Can he? I, he I know doctors could write themselves prescriptions. Is that allowed? They do all the time. He must have some pain. He must have some pain medication. Uh, you know, he, he appears to be able to walk. I mean, he's sitting there independently. Um, I, I, that's part of what I don't understand. And you hear a lot of people who are in favor of, of uh, assisted suicide. Uh, talking about the necessity for someone else to carry it through because their will might fail at the last moment, mm -hmm. which in which for me makes me say, "Woo, this is a really slippery slope." Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 a tough thing. I mean, for a physician who's lived uh, his life uh, with with the oath to 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 try and cure and to do no harm, mm -hmm. um, it, he, that may be his problem. But his his oath not to to do harm. Mm -hmm. May, may, may be a, is he an doing harm for by him. committing suicide at this point? He, I think that's, that's, that, again, is a value judgment, that, that, isn't it? Well, it's an ethical, it's an ethical issue. Mm -hmm. It's certainly, if, if we were to change the law, if we were to really talk about this as a society, if this were really to become a topic, one of the, one of the issues for physicians would have to be that ethical, that ethical dilemma that they well, have. This is one of the tragedies I find in this article here, is that it, there's a paragraph here that suggests that, uh, you know, He's always believed this, that, that patients should have the right to mm -hmm. die, but remained silent yeah. all his, all his yeah. professional life. And I'm thinking, well, this is like the typical political activist who gets active when finally the issue hits them in their backyard and, and never really gave it much concern before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, that's a call for people to get more politically active before the problem starts or before you're faced with a situation that uh, you can't redress in the time required. And that I, I think we we've seen a lot more discussion about these life and death issues uh, since we've we've had a, an activist AIDS movement, since we've uh, really been looking at pain issues for cancer patients, which we didn't really look at very uh, very well before, since we've seen some of the technological extensions of life, for many many years in some cases. Uh, where where we see cases where people have been on respirators have been removed with the assumption 
that they are going to die and then they don't they keep going yeah so something else is operating there we will continue our discussion on left right and center we've got a news update for you to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the world around us and on the other side of the news we are going to ask you to consider your own situation if you were in the same position dr colin wolf is 75 years old suffering from terminal cancer he's already outlived his doctor's prognostication uh, he expects to die any time now, but doesn't know when, and in the meantime, is very psychologically uncomfortable. I don't get from this that he's too physically uncomfortable, although he says he's embarrassed and a variety of other things, but very psychologically uncomfortable. If you were to find yourself in that situation, in that position, what, what do you want? What would you want for yourself? Would you want to be able to access some kind of... of of uh, euthanasia for yourself? Would you want to be able to access somebody to give you a hand? Would you want somebody just to hand you a pill? Think about it. Imagine how you might be feeling today if you're Dr. Colin Wolf. And share that with us on the other side of the news, won't you? 643-1290 is the telephone number. Star 1290 is the Cantel AT&T number. And we will be back with more Left, Right, and Center with Marion and Bob on 1290 CJBK. Star 1290 on the Rogers AT&T if you'd like to join our discussion today. Marion Boyd and Bob Metz with us on left, right, and center. And we're talking uh, about the story of Dr. Colin Wolf uh, in the sense that it's illustrative of the larger issue. And that is our fear of dying, as Marion said, we're a death-denying society. Dr. Wolf is in an interesting position because he is a, is a physician and a teacher who has said openly that he's felt for most of his professional life that people should be able to choose the time and means of their demise but he didn't speak out he didn't say anything and now that he's facing it he's wondering i think the sense i get he's asking himself why he didn't speak out earlier that uh, there might have been some there might have been some better choices available for him now had he done so in the past and i've asked you to think about it if you uh, have a thought on what you would want if you were dr wolf what do you want for yourself when that time comes? Because it comes for all of us. Believe me, I know. Um, <laughs> and uh, you, uh, what would you expect to find waiting for? What, what would you want to have? Bob, let me put that question to you. What, what kind of choice do you want in place when the day comes and they say Total to you... choice. I don't want anyone else involved in there. And the last thing I would want is some bureaucracy set up by government that's going to determine some kind of... Uh, standards by which everyone has to go. I would like to see the choice kept as close to the patient and the doctor as possible and away from, as far away from the bureaucracy as mm -hmm. possible. Uh, I don't think you're going to have a perfect system. I don't think you're going to have a system where mistakes won't be made. Where, but, but as long as the choice resides with, with the person whose life is in question, then I don't think we can sit around worrying about it too much. Well, I have a living will. And I'm very clear that if I have an irreversible condition, uh, which um, it, it implies death, that I do not want any heroic actions taken. Um, but from my perspective, my choice would be to live out my, my, my life until death mm -hmm. with good palliative care. Uh, it's uh, uh, something that I think uh, you never know what gift you get as as time goes on uh, over those periods. If you talk to people who've been through a palliative care situation with their loved ones, very often unresolved issues become resolved during mm -hmm. that period of time. Uh, very often you come to appreciate the, your life in a way that gives great comfort 
even if even if it hasn't always been successful you come to appreciate the unsuccessful parts mm -hmm. as well and i think uh, i think that's that's a valuable thing so my choice would be uh, no no heroic interventions uh, if i have an irreversible life threatening condition uh, but uh, certainly pain pain control even if that endangers breathing and so on what but I'm, I'm pretty explicit about it in my in my uh, uh, substitute decisions uh, uh, paper. What if you were to reach the point, and you've done all the things you've just expressed, but you did you reach a day where, at, at which you say, just for example, the pain is getting worse because pain control is not, it's, it's not, not perfect. It's not perfect. I've I've done everything I want to do. I've made my peace with everyone, including my maker. I just really don't see the point in in lying here waiting for the rest of the systems to shut down. Well, of course, I, I believe we actually have a fair bit of control over that. I mean, I, I certainly have, have watched people make up their mind that they've accomplished everything they wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And um, basically at that point, their prayer changes to, uh, you know, I want to go home. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, they do fairly quickly in many cases. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I think it's not quite that simple for a lot of people. I think people are still caught between hoping it's going to get better and they're going to have more time and 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 wishing they didn't have to go through the pain. I mean, one of our issues in life is there is pain. It may be psychological pain, but we go through pain in in life, and and sometimes it teaches us things, and and it's an important experience what's, for us to have. What's very interesting from a lot of the statistics I've seen, not not regarding assisted suicide, but suicide in general, mm -hmm. is that the pain that people are ending their lives to end is usually psychological not physical that's like right. i mean it, it's overwhelming it's like you know a hundred to one kind of thing yeah that's right and uh that's one of the the dilemmas faced by a third party having to determine is this person wanting to die because of psychological pain mm -hmm. which he's basically self-inflicting mm -hmm. um but then again how can you deal with that and you can't you know enter a long-term rehabilitation on that kind of thing and is the pain any less real uh, these are the questions that I'm asking myself out loud right now. But there is there is rehabilitation available for many kinds of, of mental illness that lead yes. to that kind mm -hmm. of psychic pain. Um, but in many cases, the individuals don't want to access it. They, they don't believe it will work. They're, they're too alienated. They've gone too far, and they don't want to do it. At what point then do we have a responsibility to say, well, I, I don't care that you hurt this badly. Uh, you know, and, I, and, and I, although I understand your pain, but you just, I, you, know, but if, you can't if, do this. If you talk to somebody like Dr. John Swift, who is the regional pain specialist uh, in, in this area, and you really talk to people who have been dealing with, with how to deal with uh, very acute pain issues, they will tell you that there are ways to resolve the pain, but there are risks involved. And mm -hmm. the, the real issue here is balancing the pain control with the risks. Mm -hmm. My own view is, if somebody is dying anyway, I mean, if, if that's mm -hmm. the situation, why are we nervous about controlling their pain because their breathing might stop? I don't understand that. In Tracy Latimer's case, her doctors testified in the, in the, in the trial that they were afraid to give her pain control because it might have affected her respiration. Well, as a result, her parents made a decision that she shouldn't have to go through that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we have to really deal with. Are we, are we condemning people to pain when we, we have at our disposal ways to, to resolve that pain, to, to help relax some of the, the muscle pain that comes when you're trying, mm -hmm. to, trying to deal with pain? 
Um, and, 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 and frankly, the, we have a real we, we have a real problem. I mean, Dr. Wolf says here, and I want to I want to read this paragraph. Recently, he wrote in the Medical Post that as a doctor, he neglected patients, quote, from a psychological point of view, end of quote, and quote, never considered how their disease might affect their personal lives. He wrote, none of my doctors talked with me about the way I might now conduct my life. Now, I've had a long-standing neurological problem. That has certainly been my experience. Physicians are not trained and, and are not good at helping people live with conditions that can't be changed. Mm -hmm. My daughter has MS. Uh, the people who've helped her have been occupational therapists, uh, nurse practitioners, and physiotherapists, not, not her physicians, even though she loves her physicians. And mm -hmm. But it's people who say, okay, I don't have any, there's no onus on me to cure this. I'm, that's not my job. My job is to help them to live with it. We wish in our family that doctors would understand that they, like other professionals, have a, an, an obligation to help people live mm -hmm. with the condition they have, whether it's life-threatening, whether it's life-affecting. Um, that's, that's part of, of the job. And in fact, I think they are doing harm when people have chronic conditions, chronic conditions that may involve pain, and they're not dealing with uh, the, the reality that their patient has to, has to learn how to live life in a different way. Josh Schlemmer was our guest earlier today talking about uh, some of the changes in the legal system and some of the tribunals that are rent control and so on. And, and I know, Bob, you have an issue with some of them uh, philosophically, and he mentioned that. But I heard that. Yeah, yeah, I, a lot of context. Well, I think what he was, he was talking about a, a, a system that has grown unresponsive in some ways, and the fact that, that uh, rather than reforming that system, although there are some small reforms, there's a kind of a parallel system that is starting to develop uh, that, to, that may ultimately replace at least part of, of that one without having to institute major changes to the first one, because that's mm -hmm. going to be very difficult to do. Marion, do you think, uh, is there a parallel here? Are we going to see a continued expansion of the palliative care movement as a response to the fact that doctor, in many cases doctors may be too busy to, to do that or, or are not trained properly to, do, to deliver that? I certainly that? think so. I mean, I think that should be our objective. We have a, we have a wonderful uh, program here in, in, in London up at uh, King's College, Dr. John Morgan. For 18 years, there has been a major conference here in London about death and dying looking at it from different perspectives, from the spiritual perspective, medical perspective, all of the different perspectives. And, and basically, I am quite convinced that particularly as we live longer, and we are going to have to learn to live through that last stage of life for a longer period of time, we have to come to grips with the, the importance of having strong palliative care uh, available. Um, I, think, uh, I think as we look at the burdens on our health care system, um, we need to we need to be looking at ways to help people deal with um, the the end stage of life in a more effective way than being in an acute care hospital. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Marion Boyd. We'll continue on 1290 CJBK after these messages. This is Talk of the Town, where interesting people talk and London listens. It's interesting to me, but not surprising, and we were just talking about this off the air, that we haven't had any calls today on this particular topic, because we know from experience that left, right, and center uh, some days is very provocative of calls. Um, but I'm not surprised on this. When we talk about this issue and have talked about it in the past, it's one I think that is not only so personal to people, but it, it touches people in a way they don't want to deal with, uh, and which is what you said, Marion, before. Yeah, we, are, we are a death-denying society. And, uh, well, we fear it. I mean, 
doesn't everyone fear death or fear the unknowable? Is what what, what the unknown really? I, I think it's the unknown. Yeah, it, it, certainly. With uh, again, the experience that I've shared the last few days on, in, in, mm-hmm. the, in the newspaper, for me, the uh, the fear of death is it's it hasn't disappeared. I mean, it's ingrained. It's part of your nature, but it's largely gone. But the fear of the unknown has not gone. Well, it's it's interesting, Jim. I mean, when when I was uh, used to work in in the childcare area, we had we had special needs children. And one of the things that we all noticed was children who have faced death are different from other children. Mm-hmm. They really are. Children who have life-threatening illnesses are different from other children. And part of it is that they, their life experience just simply uh, <laughs> means that, 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 that they have comprehended their own mortality in a way that the average child doesn't. And, and, and they make different choices. They, 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 they sometimes take risks more more than other kids. Mm-hmm. In other cases, they may they may uh, you know not be as 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 aggressive. They may allow uh, problems uh, not to overwhelm them in the same way. We're going to go to the phones now. Six four three twelve ninety star twelve ninety on the can. Tell them Maggie joins us. Good morning, Maggie. Hi, Jim. I'm really glad to have you back, and that you. uh, you're talking about this instead of the other way around. <laughs> um, I've thought about this many times. And I guess I hope for myself that I have the courage to go through the dying process. Mm-hmm. That is what I, I believe is asked of me. Yeah. So even though most of us, all of us would like to have, if, when we're going to die, a quick death, we don't suffer. I have seen that personally in family. Um, we all hope that doesn't happen to each and every one of us. However, some of us will be asked to go through that. Mm-hmm. And I hope I have the courage and the support of those around me to go through it the way that I have to. Are you helping them to build their courage to provide that support? Are you talking about this with your Yes, actually, we've, we've discussed things like this in my family. Mm-hmm. What would we like? Good. What are our, our wishes? I don't want a quick fix to this. I don't believe that's what's asked of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm speaking of my Christian beliefs. And I know that that's not for everyone, mm-hmm. but um, I want my family to know what I want um, so that they're able to deal with it and support what I would be going through. Yeah. Just as we supported my father who passed away and suffered, but fortunately today, as not in the past, we have medications mm-hmm. that can at least help us control that pain. And I know that some of those medications may hasten the death, Mm -hmm. but if the death is inevitable, I want, I'm not, I don't deal a whole lot well with pain. (laughs) So I want that help, but I don't want to be, um, I don't want a quick end because that makes it easier for. (laughs) Maggie, thanks for having the courage to call today. (laughs) You're welcome, Jim. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Rose joins us. Hi, Rose. Yes. Hi, Jim. Really nice to hear you back. Thank you. Um, and good day to Marion and Bob. Hi there. Um, I um, was thinking about this as well, and as my last caller was saying about her experience in her life um, with death in the family, I had experienced the same thing. And um, I just wonder if um, sometimes our decisions are made so that um, it's based on... Um, I don't even want to say the word, but I can't think of another word um, to make things a lot easier, convenient, um, simple. And with our society, everything seems to be like a throwaway Mm -hmm. feed. 
um, mm -hmm. and some of the suffering that some people have gone through has brought tremendous amount of insight and blessing. It's not just for the person that's actually dying, yeah. it's also for everybody else around. No, good point. Marion raised that earlier, yeah. too, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear no, that. No, 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 it's quite all right, but I'm glad you, I'm glad you, uh, glad you feel that way. Yeah, and I, I wonder if um, you don't like to see a person suffer, but um, to say that I wouldn't want to have the government interfere in allowing that to be um, a way of dying, because I don't think that's the... Um, the whole message there. No. Rose, thank you for your call today. Thank you. Take care. Jim's up next. Hi, Jim. Morning, uh, Jim, Bob, and Marion. Hi. Um, it's funny, it takes a physician. He has to be near the end of his life and in pain before he can see the other side. <laughs> the suffering, that's the way I see it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, I would hope myself that, I don't know how many more years I got, but I'd like to see a doctor have some kind of a form you could sign with one, two, three, or four witnesses to validate it. And uh, they could, uh, you know, put you to sleep or take you out or do whatever you want to call them. So you want the option for yourself? Oh, yes. I yeah. would appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for the call today. Bye. Take care. I wonder if we were to do a, a poll, how many people ultimately would want, at some point, want the option of that form. Even if, like yourself, Marion, you say that I'm, you're ready to kind of take that ride because mm -hmm. I think I'm with you mm -hmm. uh, maybe more so than what I where I sense Bob is I think I'm, I'm more inclined to say I'll take the ride as far as it goes oh I'll take it as far as it goes until I'm in excruciating pain mm -hmm. but but the choice is mine is what I'm saying mm -hmm. and, and and even in your choice you want the choice to be yours mm -hmm. so I think we're, yeah. we're agreeing on yeah. that. and I think I think this issue of pain control is 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 an issue that we really have to come to grips with and I think uh, of all the failures that we have in our society, um, we, we, we haven't really come to, to grips with the choices that come with, with pain control. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the general population is well able to participate very effectively in this ethical discussion. Um, I think we need to put it on the table. And I think when you do, you get the kind of responses that we're getting. Some people would choose one thing, some people would choose the other. How do we make sure that those choices are respected? How do we make sure that those who are, are severely disabled, who cannot make the choices themselves, are not looked at as being disposable, mm -hmm. which is the real issue of the Latimer yeah. case for a lot of dis disabled people? How do we make sure that if people change their minds, they may sign something at one point, but then become incapacitated and not be able to change their minds? Mm -hmm. How do we deal with that? Um, those are all ethical questions. and. And part of what we what we need to be doing is finding uh, a way that we can answer those questions to the to the satisfaction of 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 our society. The last word today is going to go to Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Hi. Good to see you back. Thank you. Uh, I feel a person has a choice as to as to what happens at the end. Mm -hmm. I had a I'm 75 years old. I had an experience here two or three months ago and. I went in for surgery and something uh, went wrong with my heart. And they uh, they started this uh, procedure, but then they stopped it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to go in the following week for the surgery because I had to have the surgery. Yeah. And uh, I have I I know myself as you as you get older, if you think about these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not afraid of dying. Long way from being afraid of dying. I'm not wishing for it, yeah. but I know that when my time comes, and uh, 
I don't want to hang around for, for weeks on end. So you, you, you want to have the choice, too? You want I to want to have the choice that, that when I say, this is it. Yeah. Emily, thank you for calling today. You're welcome. Good to hear from you. And my thanks to my guests, Marion Boyd and, and Bob Mess. been a very provocative thanks, discussion today. Thank you, as always. Good to see you back, Jim. Nice to be back. Folks, so you stay tuned. Coming up next, Ask the Experts with our automotive expert, Bud Polhill. Get the questions ready about your four-wheeled or two-wheeled or three-wheeled beast, whatever the case may be. We'll get the answers for you on Ask the Experts. Coming up next on 1290 CJBK.